I went and got my hair cut. Now, does it look nice? I hope so. I don't know. Maybe, maybe so, maybe not. It needed to be cut, so it got all cut. Uh, that getting your hair cut's different than getting your teeth worked on. When you go to get your teeth worked on, they sometimes ask you questions, and then they put things in your mouth, and it's really awkward. But at the hair salon, or the hair place, they, they, they talk to you, and you can talk with them. And one of the things I usually don't do is I almost never tell them what I do for my job because as soon as people find out you're a pastor, they immediately, they're, they're just different. They think they have to be different around you. And maybe they should be like that all the time, but anyways, they, they're different. Anyways, this lady was cutting my hair and it, she asked straight away, like the first question was, what do you do? And so I, I told her. I'm not embarrassed about what I do. I just don't want it to change the conversation. But anyway, she asked and, and told her and started getting into her, her story a little bit. She'd, she'd grown up in a church. She'd been to a church and she'd been there many years. But she decided that church wasn't for her. It, it, she couldn't go to church anymore because the people there didn't seem, didn't seem to understand the people of this world. They didn't care about the people of this world like she thought they should be cared for. They're, they're more concerned about the rules that they felt were important than caring for people. And so she, she said, I, I can't go to that church anymore. So she stopped. Now, later on in life, she has children, and it, one of them even said, I, I'd like to go to church. And she's like, I've got no problem with you going to church. Go to church. If you want to go to church, you should have a well-rounded view of what's out there in this world. I think her view of God is like a lot of people's in this world, and that is, yeah, God's okay, I suppose, along with all the other things that are out there that are okay. And we should just care for people and not hurt people. And, and this, this view of God, while it's maybe comfortable or okay, it falls far short of who God actually is. And we, when we don't have a true picture of who God is, it changes things. Changes what we might do. Changes how we might worship. Changes how we might look at the people around us. It changes how we see our own hearts. Maybe if you have you thought about this? Why do you? Why is Bethany a good place for you? Certainly, I hope that people are friendly and people help. But why do we worship? Why, like even this morning, I could just even hear in your voices like that hymn meant something to you. Why does that hymn mean something to you? There's probably some history that goes with it. There's probably a story behind it. You could probably, like if we could sit down and talk with one another, there's a story behind why that song, oh, that's, that's a different kind of deal. In the Bible, in the book of Exodus, there's a story about people getting ready to worship. What's interesting is they actually used the real name of the real God. They were worshiping the true God of Israel. But their picture was not accurate. Their picture was incomplete. And their worship was way off. And it almost cost them everything. So we're going to look at what, what they were doing, what was maybe wrong, but maybe what we, we might do as well. I'm not saying you're like the, the lady at, at the barbershop, but I wonder if sometimes if our picture of God is, is off, and if our picture of God gets off, that makes everything wrong. And that's no good. 
So we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 32. If you have a Bible, I definitely encourage you to open that up today. I'll be mainly using the New International Version, but there's at least one verse I'm going to share out of a different version of the Bible. And we'll be, we'll be looking at, at this. We need to know who God is. We need to know what he is about. But what does God look like? If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus 32, and I'll start reading here right from the top. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. We've been going through Exodus. We've been following this people group from Egypt on their way to what they thought would be the promised land, and they got sent into the desert. And there's been some miracles along the way to get there. They had the plagues. They had the crossing of the Red Sea. There was manna. There was food from heaven. All these amazing, miraculous things happened. Now we're in the middle of the desert, and God is about to give his commandments, his law to Moses. And if you recall, we looked at this, well, leading into this just a couple of weeks ago, and the people said, whatever you say, whatever you do, we're going to do it. And here we are probably about three weeks later, maybe four weeks later, and they're making an idol. They're making a cow, which in our culture, in our day and age, 
seems really bizarre. Like, like that's so far removed from what we might do that we might say it doesn't fit. But I would say there's, there's much of the same thing is going on in our culture and our world today. And here's what I see happening. People are making up God to be whomever they want him to be. People fashion this God that they want. If, and if they don't like something about that God might say in his word, well then we're just not going to really, it, it doesn't apply anymore. Or if, if um, it's a little too harsh, then we just, we're going to step away from that picture of God. Or whatever it is, worship is, is going to be the way that we like. If people don't quite do it the way we like, then it, 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 our culture is inundated with these false images of who God is. And maybe it's not a calf, but that's not what we struggle with. Along the way, the Israelites lost track of God. I wonder if we have done that as well. How can we get the right picture and get back on track? In your program, there's some lines, some blanks you can fill out. If it helps, you may want to help, help yourself by filling this in. So let's first look at what their picture of God. So what was Israel's picture of God? We're told in Exodus 32, verse 4, that he, Aaron, took what, what they handed him, these earrings, these gold rings. He made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf and fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of, e- out of Egypt. The idea of worship probably started with the familiar. There was a, a, a famous Egyptian god called Apis, and he was a calf. That would have represented power, might, newness of life. So it was a new, it was a, it was a strong calf, but it was also represented how new life might come. So the, they created the god that they wanted. They wanted a god of power, and they wanted a god of new life. So maybe that's why they emphasized this calf God and that's what it represented to them. He represented to them deliverance and power. And perhaps we can relate to our God in heaven in the same way we say, God, we want your power and we want your deliverance. And by the way, the rest of that stuff, I'm, I'm going to just leave that there for right now. Here's some false things that they had in there. They, they, this is false that they wanted to pick and choose what they could listen to. Now this world, I can tell you right now, has decided there's some rules in this book that are worth listening to and many that are not. Whether or not a person decides to listen to these rules or not, there are consequences for ignoring God's rule. We must understand what's all in here, not just the ones we want to know. They wanted something visible. They wanted something that they could see. The thought that you could go and see God must have been appealing to them. But that gives the idea that you could go somewhere else and he can't see you. It's sort of like the child in the corner. You can't see me, you can't see me, you know, I'm hidden. Well, that's not exactly true. But I think there's this thought that if we can have a God in a certain place, let's say we set up a God at, you know, in the corner over here, 
if we're there and with him, then he can see us and we can see him. But then we can go everywhere else. And so that's, that's false. They created a controllable God. You can put this calf in a certain place and you can have him. You can put a rope around a calf. You can do all these things. This is a God you can control. Wouldn't it be good to have a God that was all-powerful, but you could control to do what you wanted? Now that's a nice God to have. Put him in your back pocket. But that's not how he works. They wanted God's power for getting out of Egypt, for getting food, for getting water. And I think along the way, they just thought, I'll just keep coming back to the well. I'll just come back, the great sand in the sky. I'm going to get what I want from him and I can leave the rest. And that's not who God is. That's not the God then and that's not the God now. It's incomplete. He was beautiful. This was the most precious metal that was out there. So they fashioned it out of gold. It was probably worth, I don't know, millions of dollars perhaps. So it was beautiful. But that misses the glory and the power of God. It doesn't, it's incomplete. It's, it's, it's like going to your, to your teacher and, and handing a, a, a halfway filled out form. Certainly there's beauty there, but it wasn't enough. I look at these flowers here. Beautiful. Christy had to bring in, uh, yesterday before the funeral, he brought in a carload of these flowers. He said it was like heaven. He had all these, can you imagine, you're driving in your car, but you've got like, you know, baskets and baskets of flowers everywhere. Oh man, it was great. That's a picture of beauty, right? That's like heaven. You can imagine how that might smell. You can imagine. But that's only in your car for a little bit. God's everywhere, all the time, doing the amazing good during the remarkable. How can we possibly make a God and have it be who he is? It doesn't work that way. Perhaps you remember the second commandment. That's the graven rule. Those graven images aren't nice. You shall have no, you shall not make a graven image. Why did God make such a big deal I don't want any images of me lying around. Because no image could possibly come close to coming who God is. God will not be bent or willed into anything but who he is. He is God. An image of God obscures the glory of God. Let me say that again. The image of God, an image of God, obscures the glory of God. As much as we might want to see, as much as we want to see some picture of who God is, it, it actually hides the completeness of who he might be. Maybe the first thing that would be good for us to do this morning, before we go any further, is deconstruct the God that might be in our minds. So whatever picture of God that we have in our minds, maybe it would be appropriate right now to just kind of throw it out. No, I'm not saying throw out God. I'm saying the image that we have created in our minds. Throw that out because perhaps our image of God is not quite accurate according to who he says he is. And we're going to get into that image right now. Not the image that somebody has made, but this this picture of who he really is. Do we understand him? Do we know him? 
a person growing in their understanding of God will be transformed and changed. And that's what my hope is today, is that we'll be transformed. Who, what does God look like? We're going to look into that right now. What are these attributes of God? So let's talk about the, the picture that Moses has. So the second line in your, in your outline there is the Moses' picture of God. Well, Moses goes ahead and he prays. He goes to God and he starts praying. He, he realizes something is going on here. And he, he turns to him in prayer. Verse 11. I'll start with there uh, of Exodus 32. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them on the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give your descendants all this land I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever. As believers, we begin to understand as we go along through our life that God is this person that we must live up to and we must seek after. This God that Moses had, this, as you read his prayer, you can see his picture of who God is is a far more complete picture than any golden calf could ever be. He understood he is not controlling God. He is giving up control to him. And he's recognizing that I don't have what it takes. I'm going to go to the God that can take care of these people. Moses understood more about God than the people did. And he knew he needed to point his, his people he loved so much to them. And this is the moment where he stood between the people and God. He stood between the destruction that was about to happen, and he stood between them and God and said, God, I need, I, I, I hope you will listen to me at this time. Let's go through this prayer. Let's just look at it. Let's dig down. Let's drill down a little bit deeper into what he is saying when he's talking to this God. Who is God to Moses? Well, first of all, he's praying to him. So we know that Moses believed that God was listening. When we talk to God, do we anticipate him listening? The other thing we see is God, he knew that God was available. He was going to God in this time of need. God is available for his people. Now, maybe there's been times where it felt like God was not accessible, but he is. Our God is accessible. He is available. He is ready and available to us. He talks about God's righteousness, how God expects holiness. God does not lower his standard. I think one of the issues that we have in this world is people expect God, well, God has to grade on the curve. I'm about as good as, I mean, that's a very old argument. I'm at least better than my neighbor. And the, the most sincere, devout Christians I've ever known, that's not how they see this world. They don't see it as, well, at least I'm better than this next person. They say, oh my goodness, I fall so far short of what Christ is. 
Our standard is not our neighbor. Our standard is Jesus. He is righteous. He is just. We know that he must punish sin. God absolutely will punish sin. If you know of a sin in your life, it will need to be accounted for. That's what's going to happen. Not knowing something is a sin is not an excuse. There is great hurt on our country and on us if we ignore God and who He is. Social change of our country and social change in this world does not mean God has changed. We must find a way to live out our faith no matter what this world might be saying. And right after I say that, he's also inclusive. He desires for this to be a witness to the Egyptians. Did you hear what was in the prayer? We don't want those Egyptians to have a false picture of who you are. He cares about what is going on. He actually cares about the Egyptians, the people that they just left. He cares about those people. Our God, the God of the Bible, cares about all the peoples of this world. Even the people that are going for that social change, people that are going, maybe have different values than maybe we hold, God loves those people. He's not saying, send them, say, send them to hell. No, he says, man, they don't get it. He has this love for them. He's eternal. This is a God, it goes back to the ancient days. It, did you hear that? He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or or Jacob. So he's going back and he's saying, this is the God of eternity past. This is eternity future. Take care of us in the future. This is the God. So are, are you starting to maybe get a more rounded picture? What is, who is Moses' God compared to the people of Israel's God? It's different. It, it's different. The, the God that we hold in our minds, I hope that at Bethany we have a more rounded picture of who God is. We don't pick and choose the parts. We have this whole God. I hope that when we go to the, I hope that when you go get your hair cut, you, you might be able to shed some light into this whole picture of God. I hope that our view of God is just a little bit different. When we meet our neighbor, maybe when we meet, um, you know, our, the, whoever, whoever we meet in our world, our, our, I hope our rounded out picture of God is out there. What else is he? He's a promise keeper. We're, if you read through the prayer, he, he, he counts on him to deliver what he says. Our God delivers. He's gracious. He's counting on God to forgive. At the same time that our God is just, we count on him to forgive his sins. I don't know about you, I am so glad my God is a gracious God that I've been forgiven. I don't stand before you as one with all my stuff in a row. I stand before you as one who knows Jesus. That's, I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why I can stand here today is because of what he did on that cross. He's merciful. He's aware and yet he forgives. So who is God to you? Does your God hear you? Are we talking to him? I look at that prayer of Moses and I, I sometimes wish I, I wish I knew God like Moses did. I wish I could I, could, I wish I could pray like he's praying right there. Where I, I, I think when I read this and 
this is what's going on, at least for me, as I've gotten to know, as I go through experiences in life, as I get to know people, and as I see what goes on, these words, which I read maybe years ago, now they mean something different now. I'm starting to understand, I don't know the God. And when I say I don't know God, I, yeah, I know God. I've, I've prayed a prayer, and I've been baptized, and I, and I believe all those things, but I'm, because of life, I'm starting to understand it at a different level degree in a different level maybe at a different maybe i'm in a different viewpoint and i can understand god in a different way and i would want that for all of god's people to be growing in that moses's appeal appeal to to god what is it based on the israelites righteousness how holy they are the gift that they might give to to god it's none of that the, maybe the blessing they could be to the world? Not really. Moses is appealing to God based on who God is. Life, I believe, and I, I believe this with all my heart, life will only begin to make more sense and really come together when we begin to know Him more. Our lives fall apart and it hurts more when we have this false picture. The last lines in your program today is God is. On the screen and in, in your Bibles, you can look at it too, there's this most remarkable verse, perhaps the most remarkable verse you'll look at today. Exodus thirty two fourteen says, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. If you read this in the New Living Translation, it says, Then God changed his mind and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. God changed his mind? Does that mean he didn't know? Is he uncertain? What's going on here? Why, why did God relent? Why did, it seemed like God changed his path. What's going on here? This goes back to this, and this is the attribute I didn't talk about that we could have. God, our God, is love. Moses' appeal to God's character is based on God's love for people. And he knew that God desires for all people to come to know him. And he will change. Let me take you back to Sunday school. Do you remember the story of Jonah and the big fish? Do you remember that story? One of the reasons why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Maybe you recall this little nugget in that story. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Because he hated those Ninevites. They're ruthless. They're terrible. They're bad people. Why did he not want to go to Nineveh? Tell them. Because... If they repented, God would forgive them. Just makes them angry. I don't want I don't I want those people to die. I don't want them to get saved. I want them to face the justice that they deserve. And yet God said, and you can read it for yourself in in Jonah 4 verse 2. Jonah 4 verse 2 it says or actually at the very end 3 verse 10, when God saw um, that the people of Nineveh had changed and how they had turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the, the destructions he had threatened. 
This is Jonah's response to all that. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. These are attributes that we should be lifting up and thanking him for. But this is what Jonah had a problem. Gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God is gracious. He's compassionate. Our God wants to save our world. That's what he wanted. If you read further on in the Exodus chapter 32, Moses is so identified with who God is and what he desires. He says, God, if you can't save my people, you can blot my name out of your book as well. Now, I'm not sure if I'm ready to pray that prayer. Just, I'm just being honest about myself. Could you pray that prayer? I so want my people, the people that I care about in my world, to be saved so much that if they don't get saved, you can, you can take my life away as well. I don't know if I'm ready for that, but maybe I should be. So what's our response to all this? Our response is to call on the true picture of who God is. First of all, I, w- I would say that means understanding who he is, but then it, it means knowing the people around us and trying to help them become who God asked them to be. When I was younger, I didn't much care for coffee. Does anybody here care for coffee? Some people care for coffee? There, some people. People that were here at the funeral yesterday care for coffee. I, I know partway through there was seven pots. How many pots of coffee did we do yesterday? Do you know? Quite a few. Ten? We had about ten. We, had a, we went through ten, ten of those pots of coffee yesterday. So people drank some coffee here yesterday. All right? But if you don't like coffee, you don't like coffee. Now, some Dave back there and others might say, well, you're confused then. But um, here's the truth. If you don't like coffee, you just don't like, you, you're, my wife doesn't like coffee. You don't make a person that doesn't like coffee, all of a sudden, you give them a cup of coffee. Oh, it's good. Talk them into it. Make them like it. It doesn't work that way. They either like it or they don't. And that's, a lot of things are like that. I don't know, sushi or, I don't know, something else. You can't make them. If you can't make a person who doesn't like coffee to like coffee, Tell me, how are you going to change a person's heart? How are you going to help them to know Jesus? I don't know how it can be done. I can't. I, I think we should just give up right Like if you have a person in your world, in your life, that you would like to see changed, I think you should give up right now if it's on you. If it's on you. And this is where I'm going with that, and I think you understand this. If we want to see our world change and the people that we love change, it's, gonna, it's going to have to be God that comes in and changes. And if Moses and his prayer can help God change his mind, couldn't a prayer, couldn't something that God does change that as well? We have a, one final verse I'd like to look at. This is actually from the New Testament. and it, Just read along with this with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, 
that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Did you hear what that just said? We just talked about this true picture of God. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. God doesn't want anyone to be missing. God is just. He must punish sin. All of these attributes are true. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Our God is listening. He's available. He's hearing. Could we be like Moses and go to Him and say, God, these people don't get it. My, the person that cut my hair yesterday doesn't get it. She sends her daughter to church. She thinks her daughter should have a well-rounded view of, who, you know, of this world and stuff. And she knows there's something out there. But uh, I think there's a lot of people like this person. There's a lot of people out there. That they sort of know something's out there. It can't just all be... But they, they're not ready to accept the true God who he is. So here's what I believe our mission is. It's clear from when I read of Exodus 32 and all of the scripture. We must understand who the true picture of God is. Deconstruct the one that we have, the golden calves that we've created in our minds of who God might be, the aspects that we lift up. Take that and set that aside and instead build up what is the true picture, this whole picture of God. As we understand that then, we can pray to our God in heaven and say to him, God, speak your truth. Change the people of this world. Change the people, especially the ones we care for most. And finally, when the opportunity is right, I hope that we can share it. I hope that we can share the, the bit of the truth that they're ready to hear. Now, I hope that doesn't mean that, that, that we're so over... If it comes across, and this is the problem that some churches and some people can have, we can come across like we are right and you are wrong. We are righteous and we are all. There's got to be a certain humility and humbleness that comes with it. Otherwise, our witness is lost. And, and only, only you can judge. Where's your heart? But people can read, read right through our words and they can see what's going on in our hearts. I hope that that is what's coming out. If we go out and about and share this message, I hope it's the humility of God that comes through. I'm thankful and grateful for his word. I'm thankful and grateful that we have this witness. We have a true picture available of our God. Let us seek that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Exodus 32 that helps us understand a little bit better what what a true picture of you is. Setting aside our own thoughts of what you should be, and instead seeking who you are, that is, that is the best thing that we can do. So Lord, I pray that you would help us seek that true picture of you, much like Moses had in his, in his prayer. Lord, for those of us in this room today who have ones that are lost, I pray that we would understand better who you are and find ways to just give us a burden in our hearts to pray for the world around us, this world that is lost and has misplaced you and has put you in the wrong spot. And give us the strength to speak out in the right way, in this humble way, when it's, when it's the time to do so. Lord, I pray that you give us that opportunity, even this week, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.